Good morning, church. Uh, thank you, uh, Crystal, for a really excellent uh, reading uh, for uh, our passage this morning. Um, and as Pastor Edward mentioned uh, earlier, we're continuing our series uh, in Acts this year, uh, today. And um, one of the theme statements uh, that uh, we've put together as a staff team that kind of describes the book of Acts as a whole and what we're trying to kind of preach on throughout the year it's this idea that uh, in fulfillment of the Father's promise, uh, the Holy Spirit empowers his people to be witnesses of Christ across the generations to the ends of the earth. And that's been the kind of the theme statement that's been driving um, all of our Acts sermons um, up to this point. And uh, one of the things that I've been working on in the past couple of years uh, on a church-wide type of initiative um, is our kind of our emphasis on discipleship. You know, about in 2016, Pastor David launched uh, this uh, five-year vision of transforming generations, of which uh, discipleship uh, was one of, a core, one, of the, one of the three core pillars of discipleship equipping and planting. And so one of the things that I've been really heavily involved in uh, this past couple of years is really trying to figure out, well, what would discipleship look like if it was the foundation, the core ministry of everything that we do here at W. And uh, part of the, the work um, in doing that was participating in, you know, countless staff team meetings, going over what, what discipleship is, what, what it means to be a disciple here at W, as well as participating in a couple of these discipleship cohorts of um, other pastors, other ministry leaders across the country and who are working on this um, and to, to kind of bounce off ideas. And one of the main takeaways uh, coming out of all of that work is that sharing our stories is a crucial part of our discipleship journey. Sharing our stories of, of life transformation, of what God has done in our lives, is a crucial part of how we grow in Christ. Because no matter where we are in our journey with Christ, whether it's we're exploring Christ, or whether we're rooting in Christ, or maturing in Christ, or multiplying in Christ, we all face our own unique challenges, our own unique barriers to growth. And we need to hear from each other. We need each other's stories to encourage us to persevere in growing in Christ. You know, someone who may be uh, really heavily engaged in discipleship, um, and, and going out on missions year after year needs to hear that life transformation story of that, that person who comes to faith. Um, because that's a, a kind of a fuel to that fire uh, that keeps that person going. And so we need each other's stories of God's faithfulness, both the stories of his faithfulness and our kind of victories over challenges that we face, as well as stories of his faithfulness despite our own mistakes or missteps. Sharing our stories tells us that we're not alone and that we're all in this journey to become more like Christ together. And so today's passage in Acts 9, 1 through 31, about Saul's story really highlights this idea of how Jesus enters our stories for his glory uh, to build up the church to the ends of the earth. And more sp specifically, 
This happens in three ways in our passage today. And the first one is that Jesus confronts our past with grace to lead us to faith. Second one is Jesus confronts our fears with authority to lead others to faith. And third, Jesus confronts our attitudes of who can come to faith. So we'll take a look at this first idea of Jesus confronts us of our past with grace to lead us to faith. And when we take a look at our passage today in Acts uh, 9, verses 3 through 9, there are three observations that I kind of want to highlight and draw your attention to. The first one is that Jesus confronted Saul on his way to commit sin. This uh, divine encounter Saul experiences wasn't uh, something that he was uh, trying to produce. It wasn't something that he was in his prayer closet praying or that he was studying the scriptures and Jesus appears. But no, it was on his way to commit sin that Jesus met him on this road. Earlier we sang about how we come to Jesus just as we are. Jesus meets us in our brokenness and in our sin because that is the gracious God that he is. It wasn't an encounter that he was looking for, but it was an encounter that he needed at just the right time. As he was about to enter the city of Damascus with his uh, entourage, his companions, uh, with his arrest warrants and his his subpoenas in hand to force Christians out of their homes, rip people's uh, families apart, uh, dragging men and women out of the city to be bound and handcuffed and be sent back to Jerusalem, Jesus stops them dead in their tracks. In all of his glory, Jesus put the spotlight on Saul. In Saul's account of this in Acts 26, he describes this encounter with a little bit more detail, saying that it happened during midday. During when the sun was at its highest point, he saw a light, a bright light so powerful that he cowered in fear. This is what is amazing about Jesus' glory is that it's brighter than the sun at its highest point. If you can, I mean, step out in just a few minutes in Houston, we all know how bright, how hot that sun can be. Can you imagine Jesus' glory being so much brighter that you are cowering in fear? But what is significant about this, about this event, is that Saul was doing what was technically legal. He wasn't, he wasn't um, uh, kind of hiding around under the cover of night trying to scheme and plot about this, but no, this was broad daylight. He had the authority Um, and the confirmation from the chief priest, the government, to back him on what he was doing. And so everything that he was doing was technically legal. And so he wasn't hiding anything. But what Jesus demonstrated was that sin, even if it is disguised as legal, even if it is disguised as right in the eyes of the law, sin is still sin before a just and holy God. And Jesus was going to call it out. The law may have protected Saul in his desire to arrest Christians, to bring them out, even endorsing his sin, but it wasn't going to let him off the hook in the eyes of a holy and just God. And Jesus, as an act of grace, prevented Saul from committing even more sin. And not only did Jesus confront Saul with what he was about to do, Jesus identified 
with a persecuted church. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus confronted Saul with the reality of his sin, that by persecuting Christians, the body of Christ, the family of God, he was essentially persecuting Christ, the Lord, the, the um, God of all creation. What Saul was doing and threatening and dragging believers out, throwing them into prison, tearing families apart, Saul was doing unto Jesus. And sin is never just against another person. It is always ultimately against God himself. A third observation I wanted to to pull out of this uh, verses three through nine is that Jesus revealed enough to Saul for him to take a next step by faith. In verse six, after Jesus confronted Saul with his sin, identified with the persecuted church, Jesus in all of his grace did not respond with discipline or punishment or a theological explanation of what he was doing, but he gave uh, Saul a practical next step. Jesus called him into obedience by faith. In Paul's account of this in Acts 26, uh, we learn that Jesus gave Saul a a kind of an expanded preview of what uh, Jesus had in store for his life. Um, But here we see that in order to take this next step of obedience, Saul needed to do it by faith because he was made blind. He had to rely on his companions. And so he was led into the city, but for, for Saul, it could have been the wilderness because he neither ate nor drank for three days. Jesus didn't give him a five-year projection or a 10-year vision of what his life was to become, but he gave him a next step, enough um, for Saul to take it by faith in response to who Jesus is, the Christ, the Lord of all creation. So Jesus confronted Saul with his past and in the same way Jesus confronts our past with his grace to lead us to faith. Just as he did with Saul um, on the road to Damascus, he did with me. My road to Damascus moment happened in the fall of 2002. Really glad to hear a couple of Aggies entering into university because I entered my first semester, my freshman year uh, at A&M in 2002, and uh, doing so, I I was in a, a long-distance relationship uh, with a non-believer. And, you know, while I knew it wasn't right, um, I wasn't ready to let go of that relationship because, you know, entering into a new school, a new environment, um, I wanted to, to hold on to something familiar. But as God kept surrounding me with Christian brothers and sisters, demonstrating to me what a genuine Christian community looked like, my faith began to take root. As I began to yield to God areas of my life over to him. Uh, But yet, this one relationship I I still kept to myself. Now, I clearly remember a message that was preached um, at church uh, one Sunday morning in October. The preacher chose uh, to preach out of the passage um, in 2 Corinthians 6.14 about the dangers of being yoked with unbelievers. That was a, an arrow that went straight to my heart because I knew in my heart it was wrong, and yet God was already bringing it out, convicting me of it. I prayed, Lord, uh, I know it's not right, but can't I just have this for myself? Can I just have this one thing? 
Now, that following Wednesday, just a few days later, at our campus-wide Bible study called Breakaway, the speaker also just happened uh, to preach on 2 Corinthians 6.14 as well, being yoked with unbelievers. Oh, it was another, heart, another arrow that went straight to my heart. Um, and I knew I was, in some ways, being hunted by, by God. Um, like one of these superheroes in these movies that, you know, he, he's just constantly wounded, but he just gets up. Uh, in my mind, um, I, I was wounded, but I resisted. I, I, I knew it was wrong, but I, I was still holding on to something. And so, that following Sunday, a guest preacher came into town at church on Sunday morning. And lo and behold, uh, in his passage, in his message, he mentioned 2 Corinthians 6.14. I literally looked up and I said to myself, Lord, is, I, I know this is you. I know this is, it can't be anything. It can't be coincidence. Um, and yet, I, was, I, I began seriously thinking about these conversations that I had to have, but I, I was still a little, I began to be a little bit afraid. And yet, I, I still didn't act on it. Well, that last arrow came um, that Friday. Uh, we had a large group fellowship, and our speaker that night uh, encouraged us, uh, with, you know, in terms of relationships, uh, to not pursue those with unbelievers. Uh, th there is a warning there. And I knew that was it. That was, that was the last straw. God had me. Within two weeks, God spoke through four different speakers at four different times about one single message, about the one thing I was holding back from him. And I said, I was, Lord, I'm all yours. Here I am. And in that relationship was painful, but I knew that if God was pursuing me in this way, if he was unrelenting, that he was going to have a better plan for me. And he did. By giving over all of my life to him, God grew my faith exponentially that following year to where I was considering going into full-time ministry by my junior year. That fall, Jesus confronted me with my sin with grace so that I could take a next step of faith and believing that he had a better plan for me. Jesus entered into my story so that I would bring him more glory. What has Jesus been whispering to you recently? Is there something that you've been holding back from him? Maybe you're here uh, just exploring who Christ is and you're not sure about surrendering your life over to Jesus just yet. Or even sure that he'll forgive you because of your past. I'd invite you to ask anyone in here who is a believer and comes to church regularly, I'd invite you to ask, to, to share the, um, ask them to share their faith story with you. Um, because, we, because we all need to hear, and, and if, if you're exploring Christ, you need to hear about how Jesus enters into our brokenness and messiness in order to lead us out of that. Now, perhaps like I was, you're content with giving a big chunk of your life away to God, but there's uh, just a little bit that you're just wanting to hold on to. You know, it's this idea of, Lord, you can have my, my life except for 
my kids or my finances or my time? Is there an area of your life that God is pressing on your heart to surrender over to him? I invite you to share that with someone today. Someone that you trust will help keep you accountable to surrendering all of our lives over to him. Jesus enters into our stories by confronting our past with responding with grace and leading us to faith so that his glory may be made known. The second point I wanted to make is that Jesus confronts our fears with his authority to lead others to faith. In verses 10 through 19, we're introduced to a disciple named Ananias who received a vision from Jesus to go and minister to Saul. In doing so, Jesus confronted Ananias' fears to lead Saul to respond to faith. And there's four observations I want to highlight here in verses 10 through 19. The first one, Jesus called Ananias by his name and he answered. Verse 10 tells us that Jesus appears to Ananias in a vision, called him by name, and Jesus responds, responded ready to do the Lord's will. There's no, oh, just, just a second, Lord, uh, let me finish this, or oh, is it, is it going to be quick? Um, but it's a, here I am, Lord. That's very reminiscent of Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. Second observation is that Ananias was hesitant because he was afraid of Saul. After Jesus gave Ananias' instructions, verses 13 and 14 tells us that Ananias expressed concern because not only had he heard about what Saul had done, how much evil he had waged against the believers in Jerusalem, but he also knew that Saul had the full backing, the full authority of the of the government of the chief priests behind him. An infamous, ruthless persecutor of Christians that also had the full authority of chief priests, and you, God, you want me to meet him? Are you sure this is the guy you want to use? Third, Jesus confronted Ananias' fears with his sovereign authority. In response Jesus told Ananias in verses 14 and 15 that he had chosen Saul to be a chosen instrument of his. That that essentially there is no greater authority than Jesus' authority. What Jesus was telling Ananias was, don't be afraid. Saul's destiny is no longer to be the persecutor, but to be the persecuted. I have set him apart to do great things for my glory, and you get to be a part of that story. Now that authority that you're so worried about that comes from the chief priests, Ananias, I am the greatest authority that there is ever. So Jesus was um, overcoming Ananias' fears with his sovereign authority. And the last observation I wanted to make was that Ananias, by faith, led Saul to receive the Holy Spirit and baptized him. Ananias is such a model of faith. Not only was he ready for Jesus' orders when he uh, was called upon, but he trusted in Jesus' authority. And he went to Saul, called him brother in anticipation of what Jesus was going to do, and laid his hands on him. And I believe it's because of his faithfulness that he got a front row seat and saw one of the fiercest persecutors of Christians come to faith receive the Holy Spirit, and be baptized. 
I want you to notice that Ananias was essentially a middleman that Jesus called to accomplish his purpose of bringing Saul to faith. Now, couldn't Jesus have just met Saul on the road to Damascus, blinded him, and just led them all to believe in him? Of course he could have. But then we wouldn't have seen Ananias' story uh, be used for his glory. Ananias' fears about meeting Saul, the persecutor, in person was part of his story. They were to be expected. And Jesus didn't condemn Ananias for having them. But Jesus overcame all of that head-on when he called Ananias to be part of a greater story. In the same way, Jesus confronts our fears with authority to lead others to Christ. Now, personally, I've always struggled with evangelism. Not necessarily the what to say or how to do it, but more the kind of talking to random people in the mall or on the street type of evangelism. Now, while I struggle with Uh, talking to people about Jesus, I've found that it's a lot easier and less intimidating when I'm just sharing my story of faith. Now, there was this one time uh, where I was taking a class at uh, HCC, Houston Community College, right around around the the block from us, uh, Spring Branch. I met another guy who, in the class, we were in similar situations. We were both planning to go to grad school. We had it at to get this one course in the books. And um, so we sat next to each other and we began talking and getting to know one another. And uh, pretty soon uh, we got into, you know, conversations about the future. You know, he wanted to go to optometry school. I was planning to go to public health um, and really using that to go to seminary and later go on to missions. And, And so by extension of that, we got to talking about faith and identity and told me he was gay and he didn't have a faith background. And at first I was a little nervous about sharing my faith, about my uh, Christianity, because I wasn't sure how he was going to respond to me as a Christian. But the more I shared about my own journey in faith, the the struggles and the challenges that I had, um, that I faced in my own discipleship journey, the more he was interested in hearing more about Jesus. Now, throughout that semester, we would just meet up for dinner, talk before class started, and we'd really kind of go through these debates, you know, science and Christianity and all kinds of things that um, he had on his mind. And I was just really excited for that opportunity because, one, I got to share that with my small group, and we were all praying for um, this, this classmate of mine. And it really kind of just fired me up because I could see kind of how God was working in his life kind of seeing the wheels turn. Now, at the end of the semester, you know, he didn't accept Christ, uh, but uh, he did tell me at the end that because of our conversations, because of our time together, his attitudes, his um, perception of Christians was vastly changed. And, you know, that's something that I have to um, just take solace in and, and really praise God for. And so one of the takeaways here is that You know, I I totally resonate uh, with those of you who feel nervous about sharing your faith. But I believe Ananias was part of Saul's story because people, because Jesus uses people like him, like me, like you. He uses our stories of faith to bring others to Christ, and he does so with his authority. Now, I know there are some of you 
in this room who have struggled for years to share with a family member or with a close friend. You've tried many, many, many times, and yet they always seem like a closed door. And I, you know, I just want to encourage you to just keep praying for them. One important thing to note is that Jesus told Ananias to go to Saul in verse 11, for behold, he is praying. This is important because it demonstrated that Saul was open to what God was doing. Your parent, your sibling, your friend may not be open to the gospel right now, but know that Jesus is working on their heart. And when the time is right, let's make ourselves ready to say, here I am when he calls. Jesus confronts our past with grace to lead us to faith. He confronts our fears with authority to lead others to faith. And lastly, Jesus confronts our attitudes of who can come to faith. In this last part of the passage in verses 19 through 31, we see the wide-ranging impact of Saul's conversion. Particularly, that Jesus confronted the attitudes of the crowds, the Jews, the disciples, and the church with Saul's witness. So let's kind of zoom in on these four groups of people. The first one, in verses 19 through 22, the crowd who heard Saul preach in the synagogues were surprised that a man with his reputation switched sides. But Saul increased in strength. This is a very peculiar contrasting statement here. The first group Jesus challenged were the crowds in the synagogues. Now put yourself in Saul's shoes. All his life, he's been taught, encouraged, even groomed to hate the Christians, to see them as enemies of God, to see them as this rebellious sect um, and to to quash and to, to, to tamp down, and to see them as enemies because they were teaching a different gospel than what the Jewish leaders had approved. And now in light of his complete understanding of the scriptures and his zeal and his passion, the same passion that drove him to pursue Christians out of the homes, he now goes to the same synagogues and begins to teach Jesus as a son of God. But he can't run away from what he's done. The crowds are quick to bring up his past. They're quick to cast doubt on his story because of all that he's done. Jesus confronted the attitudes of the crowd by strengthening Saul in his preaching to have uh, his past shame and his sin constantly brought up as he was preaching Christ, that would have discouraged anyone. Lord, are you you sure this is my calling? God, I know I I sinned. I, I, you know, oversaw the execution of Stephen. I've torn families apart. I've put people into prison. Lord, is this this really you that... um, that you've called me to, to preach Christ. Anyone would have been discouraged to have constantly your, your shame and your sin brought up, but instead of shriveling away like they thought Saul was going to in the face of criticism, the crowds instead saw Saul increase even more in his strength and ability to teach that Jesus was the Messiah they were looking for. The second group of people Jesus confronted with their preconceptions, with their attitudes, with, were, were the Jewish leaders. 
In verses 23 through 25, the Jewish leaders plotted to kill him, but Saul learned of it. And they watched the gates day and night, but his disciples rescued him out. The Jewish leaders thought that because they were in the upper levels of leadership and authority, that they could scheme and plot uh, to kill God's chosen instrument in Saul. And yet Saul finds out and is rescued out. They thought that because of their status, their, their authority, their stature before the people, that they could get away with whatever they were planning. But uh, Jesus is the higher authority here. This reminds me of the many times that in Jesus' own life, where the Pharisees sought to kill him, sought to imprison him, and yet Jesus always managed to escape amongst the crowds. Jesus, um, with his protection, um, overcomes any earthly authority. And the third group of people Jesus confronted with their attitudes were the disciples. In verses 26 through 30, the disciples were afraid and did not believe Saul to be a believer but Barnabas testified in his defense. Jesus challenged who the disciples thought could come to faith. Jesus was not meant only for the downcast, the, the, those on the margins of society, but he was meant for everyone, especially for those who proclaimed to be enemies of the cross. Now, I'm not faulting the disciples in Jerusalem for being cautious and afraid, for they knew him and his past, what he's done. They threw their friends, their family members into jail. Are you sure this is the guy that God is using? But with the testimony of Barnabas, a trusted leader in the church of Jerusalem, they celebrated Jesus' victory in turning a persecutor into a brother. And the last group of people that Jesus confronts is the church. Um, in verse 31, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. It wasn't that long ago that the church faced serious questions, serious issues with Saul the persecutor on the loose. What are we going to do? How are we going to protect our people? Are we going to be forced to go underground? There are a lot of sleepless nights full of prayer in the midst of the persecution. And all of a sudden, Saul... The persecutor, Saul the hunter, Saul the mercenary, became the one being persecuted, the one being hunted, the one who received God's mercy. And here in Acts 9 through 31, we get a beautiful conclusion to this passage as a whole. What started out in verses 1 and 2 as Saul breathing threats and murder to the church, we end with the church being one in all of Jerusalem, all of Judea and Samaria, they experienced peace and they were increasing even more. And this is the power of God that transforms unlikely enemies into peacemakers for the kingdom of God. And just as Jesus confronted the, uh, the attitudes of the disciples who might become uh, a believer, Jesus confronts our own attitudes of who can come to faith and be used by God. You know, even though I grew up going to church um, as a kid, um, go, went, you know, went to church every Sunday, uh, did all the churchy things. I, I never really got plugged into youth ministry, never really took my faith seriously. Every time we had youth ministry events at church, I, I just found an excuse to go. Um, 
Um, and, and my parents, you know, uh, they're believers, um, but you know, at the time, uh, practicing violin, practicing piano, uh, academics, those were kind of um, top priorities. And so, you know, it kind of just worked out uh, for both of us. We just, you know, uh, didn't really ever go to youth ministry events. Uh, never hung out with them, and um, I think that made my youth minister at that time a little bit uh, uneasy about me, unsure about, you know, where I was going, uh, where I was headed. Now, I, I know this, um, in fact, because uh, a few years ago, I met him, um, saw him randomly at a restaurant, and, uh, and so we got to talking, and, and uh, you know, he was just, we were just catching up, and I told him, oh, I just graduated out of seminary, I'm looking into going to full-time ministry, and his jaw just dropped out of surprise. He was like, really? You know, I, I never would have thought uh, you would be the one in our group to go into ministry. Like, you were the last person I would have thought to go into ministry. And I don't know how to take it um, at that time, but, you know, by God's grace, um, I, I'm, I'm up here now. And so, uh, you know, he's just saying, I was so worried about you as a youth. And so it's just so amazing what God can do in people's lives. So all of us, all of us are unfinished stories of God's grace. Some of us may be just beginning, and some of us may have had years of refinement, and others of us may be just feeling stuck and growing. I just feel stuck in where I am in my faith. The truth of it is that none of us have it all together. None of us can say that we are beyond the grace of God or that we've made it. And as a result, we can't count anyone out. If God's grace is available for all, who are we to say someone is too far gone to receive it? I invite you to start praying regularly for that one person in your life that maybe you've lost hope that they'll ever receive Christ. Take a step of faith to reach out to them again if it's been a while since you last talked. Walk with them in their own discipleship journey. If they're interested in exploring Christ, walk with them in that. One thing to note in this passage is that when the disciples were understandably skeptical of Saul's conversion, Barnabas was right there to testify of what God had done through Saul. Barnabas had taken the time to observe Saul's own discipleship journey and was able to vouch for him. Commit today in inviting someone, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor to walk with in this journey of following Christ together. Now, a quick word to our parents. Um, parenting, I know, is already hard enough. As a parent of two young kids, you know, with juggling schedules, battling emotions, uh, there's always this kind of uh, battle of the wills. Um, and I, don't, I don't think that just applies to young kids either. Um, I, it seems like there's a, a never-ending mound of to-dos on our plate. And just as Pastor Edward preached last week about discipleship beginning at home, I encourage you parents to begin with your kids. Now, I know there may be days where you think your kids will be the last people you ever think of coming to Christ, but, um, but I believe that those of us who are parents have the greatest spiritual influence, uh, greatest spiritual influence for our kids, regardless if they are two or they're 22. Now, if you'd like more information on how to do this, 
how to walk our kids in their discipleship journey, we have excellent resources available in our W Home Resource Center in the lobby. So I encourage you to to go there and to get more information on how to do this. So Jesus confronts our past with grace to lead us to faith. Jesus confronts our fears with authority to lead others to faith. And Jesus confronts our attitudes of who can come to faith. And so my next question for you then is, what next step is God calling you to take in order to share your story for his glory? Now, in his book, Knowing God, one of my favorite quotes, one that I've, I've just hung on to and clung on to, J.I. Packer writes, he's not in such a hurry as we are. It is not his way to give more light on the future than we need for action in the present or to guide us more than one step at a time. When action is needed, light will come. And just like with Saul, God often doesn't give us the whole picture before we are to take a next step. But he does give us enough for us to take a next step by faith. And so here are a few suggestions, a few next steps you might be interested in taking. The first one is reviewing your own story of transformation. What's your road to Damascus story where Jesus met you? Not when you expected it, but when you most needed it. If you can't recall it immediately, take time, either today or tomorrow, just sit down and write it out. This may or may not be your conversion story, but it is a story of you surrendering to God. Maybe you're here this morning, you haven't actually taken that step of faith yet. I invite you to ask the person who brought you here, or ask one of our pastors, or anyone in here, to share their stories of faith. Seeing what God is doing in other people's lives can help us clue us in on what God is doing in our own lives. Second one is uh, meet up or call, email, text, or contact a friend who does not know Christ today and schedule a time for you to meet, to share your story. Those of you who have thought about your stories may have shared them from time to time, but maybe it's been a long time since you've done it. Your next step today is to contact someone, a friend, someone you know who doesn't know Jesus yet, and to just share your story once again. Just as Jesus helped Ananias overcome his fears about meeting up with a sworn enemy of the cross, Jesus will help you overcome your fears about talking about your story. This is your story that God is using. No one can refute it. And so share your story for his glory. And lastly, don't count anyone else. There's no one whose life is beyond God's saving reach. If God can choose Saul from before he was born and turn him him from a most feared, ruthless, dangerous enemy of the church and transform into the most skilled defender of the faith, God can transform anyone's heart. You may have your door closed for whatever reason to continue talking to that person, but continue to pray for their hearts to say, who are you, Lord? when God meets them. We all have our own stories of brokenness and restoration, of great joys and deep hurts, of our own rebellion and of God's amazing grace. All of us are unfinished stories. Will you commit today to surrender your story for his glory so that the whole church in Jerusalem all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth would have peace 
and be built up. Let us pray. Father, the creator, the author of all of our stories, God, we give you praise. We thank you, God, for the ways that you have worked in our lives and transforming us from lost and hopeless sinners to sinners saved by grace. God, we thank you so much for the work that you've done in our lives. And I, Father, I pray that you would, would stir us, that your spirit would work in our lives to be able to share our stories so that your glory may be made known throughout all the earth. Would you do this in our lives today? Would you bring to our minds that one person that you're calling us to reach out to and to share our story with? Thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name.